0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where right
1: now, you are going to find excellent, delicious, juicy sumo citrus at Zupan's. And also, Dungeness Crab, which of course we know it's crab season. Delicious Dungeness Crab. Of course, Zupan's has an excellent seafood department. So you go in there, and if you don't feel like Dungeness Crab, you're going to find... Excellent, whatever else you want. Uh, They have incredible scallops, by the way, if you've never had those. So um, scallops, anything else. And, of course, their meat department is second to none.
0: Yeah, you've often told me about uh, when you purchase swordfish from your local Zupians.
1: That's hard to get. I yeah. mean, it's something I was used to on the East Coast and, uh, really nice to be able to get it out here too. And of course, Zupan's sources from all over the world. So not only is Zupan's your place for local products, um, but it's a great place to get things from exotic, not even exotic, some of the best sourcing in Italy, Spain, all over, all over the world. Um, and I don't want to yeah
0: and, and I don't want to skim over too much Chris you you mentioned it at the top sumo citrus it's Tis the season, as they say. And we bought a bunch of those sumo citrus oranges over the holiday break. And I love, I can't stop thinking about them. They are like so perfect, sweet, seedless, juicy, the best citrus you will ever
1: have. I know a good sumo citrus therapist if you need to get it off your mind. It's, yeah, it's too I prominent. might need to. Or I might <laughs> need to just go down to my local zoopans and buy a bunch more. Right. Just get it out of the way. But you know why they're so great? They're large. And then you, you grab onto that. I don't know what to call it on top. There's got to be a name and pull it and it's yeah. peels so easily. And then you're sitting there with a gigantic juicy orange. Yeah. It's like mother nature gave this orange its own little lid to
0: help us humans peel it
1: exactly and then made it really easy to peel there's none oh, of that yeah. stuff where you're just like tearing it and going oh, i gotta get this stuff it just comes off cleanly
0: and easily it's, yep, it's pretty great three locations where you can pick those up you got west burnside mcadam and lake oswego and of course we recommend people do what chris
1: com and subscribe to the news feed
0: All right, here it is time once again. It's Portland's Food Scene Podcast right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm co-host,
1: Court Johnson. Court, just say once again about 400 times, and here we are starting our 11th year, number 11. Year, year number 11 on the podcast, yeah. I would venture to guess if when we sat down to do episode number 1 which was at the time was Don Barassa of Yelp and you asked us do you think you'll be doing this for 10 years i don't think we would have said yes no you know, it what's interesting chris is you and
0: i we you know we we talk about the longevity that we've somehow managed to have doing that i shouldn't say it that way but that we've surprisingly had And I mentioned that to my wife the other day, Randy, and she was like, wait a minute, you guys have been doing that for 10
1: years? It's like, yeah, 10 years. We're starting 11. And the crazy thing is that it's weekly. Yeah. We have seen so many people try food podcasts, um, I think, along the way. And they do it like once every six weeks or whatever. We've been doing it weekly and putting it out there. And I commend you, Court, because for the last... I don't know, six months? you even, is it longer that you've been doing this from, a, from afar? From afar?
0: Yeah. No, yeah. it's, uh, eight months. I'm going, I'm coming up on eight months. Is it I've really? Been, See, yeah. Everything's
1: I've, flying.
0: I know. It's, it's crazy.
1: I can't believe that. But we started in the studio at the Alpha Broadcasting Studios, um, mm-hmm. in 2014. And, uh, with Don, as we said, with Yelp and we're returning with him to start our 11th year. We thought that would be fun now that he's in a completely different scenario and place in his life. Um, but we started in a studio and, uh, we used to record a couple of episodes, uh, every other Monday or a couple of Mondays a month. We would record two episodes and that was great. We had a lot of people into the studio. And then the pandemic hit and uh, had to get used to not doing it in the studio and figuring out technology from there. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten used to it now. I re- you remember I was bitching about it the first year when we get back in the studio court and you yeah. kind of said, well, that doesn't look like it's happening anytime soon. So uh, now I'm used to doing it from the comfort of my home with coffee nearby. Yeah, and you know there is one advantage to it. I've felt there's a couple of advantages. One is, you know, I'm in Manzanita; It saves the driving. You're in San Francisco. We couldn't do it now anyway, right? Um, and but
0: that studio doesn't even exist anymore. That part of the building is has been remodeled. It doesn't exist. So it
1: was shut down with my potential COVID. Yep, well, that was the last of the
0: studio. That was the last. Yeah, it was less than yeah. Then they <laughs> said, man, we're not even going to use that anymore.
1: Right. Well, they shut down the building when when I had told Tricia the res- res- receptionist that I didn't feel well for three weeks, and this is, yeah. I think, March of two thousand twenty, and yep. she called the human resources, and they shut down the entire Pack West building, which is what it was called <laughs> then. I think um, yeah. that was it. So anyway, we've been recording it, but there is an advantage, and it used to be that we uh, would record on Mondays at. I don't know, 11 o'clock, and everybody would have to be there, and that was the option. Now, since we're a little looser and we have a we have a platform, I can say to guests, hey, what's convenient for you, and tell them when I'm available to record it. So it makes it a little easier in that respect, that we give the guests a little more flexibility to do it. But then they have to have the right technology, and they don't always. Right. So but we 've managed we haven 't had we haven 't had any complaints yet from anybody that 's saying it sounds like shit. We used to pride ourselves on the fact that we had the best sounding podcast yeah. uh, uh, on the air in terms of production quality. It was great because who else was recording it out the do you remember the days, who was the, I don't remember who the general manager was, who told us that podcasting was just a, a fad, and it wasn't going to be around for long?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, now, we are. Ra- radio stations are trying to figure it, well, there's, they probably figured it out, but there was a period where they were trying to f- figure out how to get themselves into podcasting. Yep. So, but they are, everybody's doing it now, and podcasts are video casts, but... Yeah, um, when when we started, people didn't know what a podcast was. We had to tell them how to access it and what it was all about. And now, right. now everybody's got a podcast. So, yeah. Anyway, we must take the opportunity to thank profusely Zupan's Markets and Ringside Steakhouse. They've been with they both been with us. You know, you talk about time flying. I believe it's uh, it's about seven years now. They've been yeah. with us consistently for eight years. Close to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Month after month. And we can't thank them enough. They're perfect sponsors for us. We always said in the beginning we've had others. Some sponsors come and go, but we love having organic sponsors that that are line up with the Portland food scene and are appropriate that we believe in. And and surely we believe in them, and it's more than just the sponsorship of the podcast. We believe they are. We would recommend Zoo Pants and Ringside to anyone if we'd never even had a podcast. So, I believe that. I'm sure yeah. you do too, Court. You you aren't 100, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so we c- it couldn't have been better for us all this time, and so um, thank you to them. And we couldn't. Have done this without listeners i think
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm pretty i 'm pretty sure if if nobody was listening chris that we'd uh, that we, this would end it a long time ago
1: right and in the, in the face of so much competition, I mean, we didn't face competition in the first few years, much. But now, since everybody knows about podcasts and everybody's got 10 favorites, mm-hmm. we're very fortunate that we have at least held our listener base throughout these last few years. So yeah. um, it would be nice if we would grow it, but... Let's face it, we have fewer restaurants going on in Portland. Um anyway, it's been and oh, aside from our listeners who have been great, we gotta thank all our guests who've come on. Over over three or four hundred guests yeah. who've been on the podcast. A few, I few say, repeats in there. Right. That's why I say three or four hundred. So it's probably been a solid 350 guests, I would imagine, over the 10 years, yeah. 35 a year with some repeats and then some of the sound bites that we did for years. So thank you, everyone, who has anything to do with Right at the Fork. We appreciate it. And um, and we thank this will be, I think, I'm not sure, but this today, now that we're starting our next decade, will be the first podcast that we recorded with someone overseas right i think we spoke to we i think we spoke to a woman in france oh point. kate hill that's right yes. i'm sorry yeah. and i can't who can forget kate she's great and right. you can subscribe to her um sub kate hill that's great so yes mm-hmm. i'm sorry i forgot that to make yeah. up for that i'm driving people to her there you go sub she'll forgive is, you we, i'm sure which is really cool. She does lots of cooking things and a lot of things about Gascony. However, we're not in France. We're a little bit further southwest. On this podcast with Don Barasa, who I met when I started Portland Food Adventures, he was the community director at Yelp. He had quite an interesting background as an attorney, and he was he was putting together, you know, Yelp's presence in Portland and drawing everybody together and being kind of an ambassador for the brand. And he came on the first podcast, which we ran what three weeks ago, mm-hmm. kind of to as a little flashback to the beginning and uh talked about the benefits of yelp to both uh diners and to restaurants and i still believe there are some even though we know some restaurants have a little problem with it but um but don has moved on he's doing some marketing consulting but he now lives in porto portugal which is a place i plan on visiting in a few months um and i'll see don um but I was most interested in, he's still into food and he's talking about it, but he's also really into music and uh, travel. And I was really interested in talking to him about becoming an expat, what it takes to move to another country. We've had a, uh, you know, the last six years, a lot of people have said, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Um, and he found someplace, he was able to travel the world for a year with his wife and you know they they saved some money and took sabbaticals and uh, landed on Porto Portugal and he's been there for about a i think about a year now, uh, maybe a little less and we talk in this episode about what it takes to move overseas, put everything in place, adjust and um, and also you know i've been really enjoying don's spotify music list too don's quite a bit younger than i am so it's always nice to to uh find someone who's got who's listening to something other than you know my era the music from my era although i like from all anyway all eras um it was a fun conversation with Don. I really like him. Since the podcast that we recorded right before he he uh traveled quite a bit. Um he's uh his Instagram is quite bountiful with some beautiful travel photography. So uh he's the Don B on Instagram and uh I think everyone will enjoy this. I found it quite informative with Don Barasa.
2: Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures.
1: I thought it would be good to start a little earlier because... That first podcast was shorter than we do now. It was only, with you, it was only about a half hour. <clears throat> we just started to talk about your background. We didn't even get into it. We just found out you had a law career before Yelp. Um, but uh anyway, it was interesting. And, you know, the I think what's great is to have you on because... You know, this is about guests, but so much has happened to the Portland food world in the 10 years since we started this. And then subsequently, so much has happened with you and so much has happened with me. And so I've just found it really interesting to revisit um, that first podcast. I don't know if you've ever, if you ever listened to it at all, but. I
3: I listened to it actually a couple of times, but it's been a long time and I should have thought ahead and listen to it before this like you were i uh now, had a crazy week so i i just uh, it's
1: okay you uh, don't uh, you didn't need to do that but i just i was listening to it you know we had heather who had a mic and she was on mm-hmm. at the time and uh <clears throat> and court wasn't really a part of it he was just engineering uh not just that takes that takes talent and we've been doing that for 10 years at any rate um No, I found, so, and recently in the past couple of years, I've been starting to think about, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you are, retirement and where I want to go and Portugal comes up in every, anything you read, Portugal comes up in that conversation now um, as a wonderful place to go, less expensive and, um, you know, you at a very young age, do you mind my asking how old you are?
3: I am 47.
1: That's a good age. I love the 40s. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So you, at you know, almost uh, almost 20 years younger than I am, have decided to, you know, make that move. And I want to talk a little bit about how that came about, you know, your travels. It looks like you thought about it. You wanted to go somewhere else. And Portugal, because of the pandemic, ended up being the place. Um But at any rate, man, I got to tell you, after having listened to you and reading you, I really respect um, the person that you are, and I don't like to gush on this podcast. We had guest hosts who gushed on their guests, and I said, I'm never going to really do that. Talk about, Don, you're just so awesome. Uh, After every response, we had guest hosts doing that. I... Really feel like you've got so much going on. You're a great writer. You like to eat. You go to concerts. I mean, you do things I would never want to do anymore, which is go amongst large, huge groups of people and enjoy yourself. I can't, do, after, after the pandemic, I can't feel comfortable with that. So, um, but at least you're in a country where you're not thinking about mass shootings. Here I do. So, um, right. but at any rate, I've also, really enjoyed your spotify playlists and your recommendations i have to tell oh, you thanks. i get bored with all my stuff and i'm always like how do i access other people's stuff well on your Substack, which is called it's called adulting is that what it is it, international adulting yes. international adulting yeah because i didn't think you could get the handle just adulting uh, and I want to now. talk a little bit about that, that word adulting at some point, but um, sure. on your uh, sub stack, you provide, every time you write, you provide some sort of music opportunity. And so I'm just trying to figure out where you get the time to listen to that mu- much music. Obviously it's while you're working out and doing some other things too, but holy shit, you're discovering a lot of stuff. And I don't find myself discovering anymore. I think I'm always listening to the older stuff. So let's start there. How do you how do you discover your music? Where where does it come from? Do you go from one uh, one uh, artist on Spotify and go to the other?
3: You know, it's this is one of those things that being having been sort of, uh, I was a DJ for years back in the day. There you I used go. to DJ clubs and throw throw. You know, I threw raves like way back in the day, and I've always been into to listening to new music. And I feel a little bit bad coming from that place and being such a Spotify whore. As soon as Spotify came out, uh, what was it, eleven or twelve years ago, mm-hmm. I jumped on it and started. And I was like, "This is amazing! I can just pay so much per month, and I get access to all this music." It's and I've spent thousands. Of, I spent ten, tens of thousands of dollars on vinyl records and CDs in my lifetime. So I've, I've paid my money into the music industry, I think. Um, but anyway, so I started listening to Spotify like 10, 11 years ago. And I started curating my own playlists and the algorithm has really gotten to know me very, very well. And, um, I think I rely a lot on Spotify's tools. They have a, um, yeah every friday they give me a release radar playlist and they suggest all sorts of new stuff for me and because the algorithm knows me so well they just give me new stuff and i really enjoy listening to new stuff i'm not a i mean i have some lists of like old favorites but my wife's the person who will put on the playlist with tom petty and you know all the old good stuff doesn't mine <laughs> I'm, yeah Yeah, I mean, I I love Tom Pandy. You know, I love the, I I, I don't know, I love Pink Floyd. I love all the old good stuff, but like I listened to that over and over when I owned those CDs and that's all I had to listen to. Now I can say, hey, I found this new artist and then I can turn on their radio on Spotify and I'll start hearing all sorts of songs that sound just like that artist. And I'm like, oh, shit, here's 10 new bands that I've never heard of. And I just really enjoy
1: it. I do that. I'll explore that way too. And here's a band I've never heard of and let me go to their let me go to their uh, radio, whoever it is, radio, and mm-hmm. then go from there. But no, and I like, I have a really nice sono system, and I like a lot of background, beautiful sounding background music that really has nice bass. And yours, the stuff I've discovered of yours is really enjoyable. So uh, thank oh, you. Thanks. That's not why listeners are listening to this. But, I mean, also the idea behind this podcast is just to get behind our you just get a little deeper into our guests so people know them and i'm starting to feel after 10 years of doing the podcast we can we can branch out beyond chefs and bartenders and <clears throat> there's a lot of interesting people out there who are just connected in a in a way to the food scene you were connected in such a way that Uh, you were the perfect first guest for us because you knew a lot of things about the Portland food scene when we were just starting the podcast 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, it was interesting going back to listen to that, that you were talking about how much you loved Portland and how much it meant to you and you're no longer there. And so it's, um, <laughs> it's really interesting what can happen in 10 years. A lot of things you never expect. You cannot project out that far in your life. That's one thing I've learned. I didn't expect, you know, 10 years ago when we started, I had the week before just moved out to the coast. But uh six months before that i didn't know that would have happened or like a month really so um, and i didn't know i'd be doing trips to europe that's when that started too so and you didn't know you'd be in portugal right you had no when did the designs (laughs) for moving start for you the desire the interest or what sparked it
3: well I would say, I've always been a big fan of travel. I've done international travel ever since I was in high school, middle school. Um, and I've always, I love Portland, but the, the travel bug every, every year or two, my wife and I would take, I'd save up all my vacation and we'd take like three weeks and we'd go somewhere, Ecuador, or Thailand, or somewhere far away and immerse ourselves in another culture. And after after doing that for I don't know six seven eight years, we decided that we really wanted to. My wife, for her fortieth, wanted to take a, a year long sabbatical and travel around the world. And so we started planning about five years in advance. We started saving some money. We started putting things in motion. She was in real estate. She had her own business. I worked for Yelp. And as the, as the time approached, we really just started locking in. We, we don't have kids, so that makes it a lot easier. But we started figuring out, well, we have a house. You know, we're, we're midlife. This is our midlife crisis, right? We own a house, we own cars, she has a business. I have a career. I've invested all sorts of money in this career. I'm still paying off my student loans even today. You know, like I, it's oh not something that we're, you know, That's crazy. ultra wealthy people or anything. But it, it was just, we kind of just locked in and we set our sights on it. And, and it, we, we did it about a year in advance. We started planning to... You know, how, what are we going to do with our house? We decided to Airbnb it out. And we had to get it ready for that, and, you know, sell a bunch of stuff. And I mean, it took a lot. Um, that's just, for the, that's just for the year cars. sabbatical,
1: right? That's not that, for the move. That was just for the year, just to Airbnb. Yeah, house out. that was
3: just for a year sabbatical. So we took a year in 2018 to 2019. We visited 33 countries in one year. We went around the globe. It was incredible. It was life-changing. And we, it was our midlife gap year. Uh, You know, some people buy a Porsche for their midlife crisis, and we bought a year around the world without work instead, which probably costs about the same. Um, And uh, we came, we came back, and we're like, we really want to go live overseas. Like we've been, we've done the two weeks here and two weeks there thing, but we really want to go see what it's like to live somewhere else. And so we started making this plan to like, hey, let's work for one more year. Then we'll go buy a car and drive around South America for a year and do like one more year in some place inexpensive. And then we'll move to probably Europe. And then COVID screwed everything up for the whole world. Uh, And we just decided to put our heads down, work, earn money, wait, wait, wait. And pretty soon we were like, well, you know, South America is not opening back up. and Things aren't looking real for like on the road, crossing borders, travel. This was in 2020... 2021. Oh, yeah, just so, a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we looked at it and we're like, you know, moving to another country takes years. I mean, you, it, it takes months and months to a year just to plan it and get your visa and all this stuff. And, you know, we got to sell a house, you got to sell your stuff, you got to figure out what to do with your cars, you got to figure out your bank accounts. Like when you're an adult, it's easy when you're 21. You got 10,000 bucks in the bank, you just go, you know, when you're 40 something, you got all this shit that you've acquired in your life that is now like holding you down to the ground it's weighing you down so it took us quite a while to shed all that stuff and we said let's go let's go do this Europe thing first so we started looking into it and we just said let's let's go and we went to went to Portugal and it took us a full year to do that transition
1: well you know <clears throat> i had a little diff- slightly different situation i had uh was not I, w- I was single, but I was raising two kids who were junior high school and high school age at the time. And I moved mm-hmm. across the country in uh, the same, around the same age you were when you moved. And that was a big deal. You know, but I was dealing mm-hmm. with schools and you weren't. Um, but there, you're dealing with so many. You know, it's one thing to go from a Connecticut driver's license to an Oregon driver's license. And it's, <laughs> you know, to deal with healthcare, right? At least in the same country. Um, sure. But it's an entirely different thing to, you know, do what you did. So it, it took me two years just to get across the country and then settle in. That took a while. But man, I got to tell you, I loved that every single thing I did was new. Every restaurant I went to, yeah. even the doctors. Oh, new doctors. I love my doctors. But um, everything I did was new and refreshing, and I never really saw that before I moved. I just saw geography and Portland, Oregon, and that looks cool, and the West Coast. So you are still going through that. I'm reading your substack, and you are just really reveling in uh, everything that you're experiencing, from music to sports. Uh, you've, got, you've got the topics down. <laughs>
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're, I'd say we're still in the honeymoon phase, but at the same time, there's, you know, the part of the theme of my substack is is, it's international adulting, right? Like, like, we're not just, we're not just tripping over here and tending bar for a bit and seeing if we can, you know, get some good hookups and whatever. We're, you know, we're, we're coming over here and making a life and it requires a significant amount of real bureaucracy fighting and, all this other stuff. So, with the honeymoon comes all of the the sort of struggle that you get with completely starting over. Like you said, you move to a new place. You know, you need to. It's a new language. There's a new culture. You need to meet new friends. You need to find new places to eat. You even need to just find where to buy stuff because the stores are all different. The, so the eating it's, has it's to be the, own,
1: the eating has to be the most fun part and the easiest. Oh, so you go and you like it, or you don't like it, or you love it a lot. But the tough part, I've been watching, I've been reading about your renovation on your home and that's crazy. I can't even imagine doing that and starting out without speaking the language. It's hard enough dealing with contractors, you know, in a place where you speak the same language. Um, but then also to deal with a different, uh, pace and, you know, people are different in Europe than they are in the United States they're slower. They don't communicate as well. Generally, and then you've got the language barrier. So uh yeah, that's a did you realize what you were into until you got there?
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny. My wife had a 17-year real estate career in the United States and she dealt with an uncountable number of buyers and she has all of these rules about who are the good buyers and who are the trouble buyers. You know, people who look outside their price range. People who will tell you, we do want this and we don't want that. And they start looking at the houses that have the things they don't want and all this stuff. Right? She was her own worst client. We were her own worst client when we came over here because we got our real estate agent and we're like, well, this is what we want. This is the area we wanted in. We don't want this and we do want that. And one of the things we didn't want was a renovation because we knew that even in the States, a renovation is a, a nightmare. And what did we end up doing? We walked into a place that it was this, you know. There's there's a weird listing service here, and the listing looked like sketchy, but we decided to check it out anyway. And we walked four flights. It's a four, fourth floor walk up, which is crazy. But it's right in downtown. Now you're town. dealing with Spaces knee problems. Night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> knee problems will be will be a, a nightmare. Yeah, um, fourth
1: floor walk up. But,
3: but we did. I mean, our, our our real estate agent here was like, you said you didn't want a renovation. You said you didn't want this. You said you didn't want that. And we're like, we don't care want. And so we bought it and we just dove straight in.
1: Well, so, and that is, if you didn't have, and you knew this going in, if you didn't have that renovation to deal with life would have been, your honeymoon period would have been different. Now you've got a honeymoon with a really annoying, um, I'm not going to call it spouse because I don't want people to think I'm referring to Hillary. I'm talking about this honeymoon period where you're realizing, holy shit, this marriage I got into isn't what I thought I was getting into um, or what I planned on anyway. So, but, you, but you have each other, right? So that helps yes. to have each other at the end of the day to go, oh man, and just uh, rely on each other for solace and comfort and planning too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean,
3: it, I guess the analogy is it's like uh, the mistress showed up to the honeymoon and, and, and made things a little bit wacky. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we, you know, it, I think, I think it's sort of all all meant to be when we were looking, we looked at another place here. Um, there There was a visa scheme here called the golden visa, where for a long time, you could buy a place for a certain amount of money and you get automatic residency. And they sunset that right in, at least in Porto, right in January of 22, when we were looking mm. to buy. And, and we looked at a place that was still grandfathered in under this. And uh, the architect that was building it, we met him and we were like, we love this guy. This guy, and just we connected with him immediately. And so when we saw the other place that needed the renovation, we told our agent, look, if this guy, Miguel will work with us, we'll buy this place. So of course, she gets on the phone with Miguel. It's like, Miguel, you got to work with these clients. These crazy American clients, they want to buy this place. They need, a, they need an architect. And he's I count him as one of my best friends now. I mean, and not just like in Portugal, but like a really good guy, uh, somebody I think I will know for, for my life. Uh, we've met a lot of interesting people here. We've met some fun expats, stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a certain amount of faith that's baked into this that despite the rocky road that we are on with our renovating a 1939 Art Deco building that's leaking like a sieve and needed a new roof. Um, you know, we're we're making like genuine connections out of it. We're learning a lot. I'm learning the language really quickly because uh, I got to talk about LED downlights and paint colors and, you know, waterproofing and tile placement in Portuguese. So it is what it is.
1: Yeah, but it's just a heavy-duty investment into your wonderful future because once that is behind you, you're going to be in the house that you – As opposed to one that you just bought that you didn't have to renovate, that you designed and put a lot of heart and soul into and went through a lot to get there. And it'll be in your rearview mirror. And, yeah, think of the connections you made. All the contractors, the experiences you've had are going to help you going forward in whatever you do, Um, you know, whether it's your career or just personal life. Uh, So. I am, uh, I'm fascinated by it. And I, I respect you for doing it, because I don't know, I just personally don't know a lot of people who've said, we're moving to another country. And, um, and here's how you're going to do it. How did you gather the information that was necessary to uh, know that you could, you know, get the proper visas and have the income uh, necessary to be able to execute this move? That's a
3: good question. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of Americans that are doing this right now, and it may not be headline news in America, but as soon as you start putting, putting it out there in the universe, you start talking to people about it pretty soon. They'll say, you'll meet people say, Oh, yeah, my friend's looking at doing that too. And my other friend did some research on that. I got somebody I know who's already over there. And so. We started talking to people, just, you know, we, we, we run in a circle where people travel a lot and you know, stuff like that. So we started talking to people, people started introducing us to other people. We got some we got some tips right away about uh, we were looking at Italy, um, and I looked into the requirements for Italy and Italy doesn't really want you unless you got a lot of money or you got Italian heritage, they make it very difficult. Uh, and I looked, we were looking at Spain as well. And somebody said, ah, you should look at the tax laws there. They could be good or they could be bad, depending upon how your, your, your life is structured. Uh, they said, you should look at Portugal and we had kind of Portugal was sort of on our radar and, um, they pushed us towards a Facebook group. So there's a lot of Facebook groups for people who want to move to countries. So there's one for Portugal that has, it's sort of like a DIY. Visa Facebook group that you can join and they've got all sorts of files that explain. Here's the different types of visas. Here's exactly what you need to get each of these visas. And here's, you know, the process that you go through and here's the office that you got to apply to and blah, blah, blah. So you, you can pay. There's relocation services you can pay if you want to do one of these. And you've got a ton of money. It's easier. It's much easier. But we, of course, did it the DIY route. I joined the group. I started asking questions. I started doing research and. You know, it just, Portugal just hit for us for many, many reasons. Uh, it, the, the visa structure was nice. There's a retirement visa that allows us to come over and I could continue to work with, I do freelancing, uh, marketing consulting still. And in a lot of other countries, as a retired person, you're not allowed to work anymore. If you want to work, you have to have a work visa and you got to get a company to sponsor you. And it's very complicated. Or you have to be a digital nomad, and a lot of those are only for like a year at a time. So Portugal had a really good visa structure, they had a really interesting tax incentive program uh, for foreign resident, foreigners who want to become residents. Uh, and you know, we looked at all of those things, and then we came over to visit, and we met the people. And what really sold it for us was the people. The people here are kind and welcoming and friendly and wonderful. They're not jaded by tourists. They're not like the people you meet in you know, downtown Florence or downtown Paris that are just so sick of Americans or whatever, they're, they're really wonderful people. And so this, this sort of journey, we started from like just manifesting it into the universe to actually getting on the ground here to do some scouting. It was, it, it ended up just being this beeline that we made for Portugal that we haven't really looked back. I mean, there's other great countries, I have an expat friend uh, who was in the food scene in Portland doing food marketing, who lives in Paris now. And she adores it. And I, you know, I'm in touch with her all the time. So, you, you, is, there's that a she, is that Shannon
1: by any chance? That's Shannon. Yep. Yeah, I she's, she's so unbelievable, it's be man. So, so, yeah, it's no, there's, uh, there's a certain something to you folks who have moved across the world, really cool people, really special. Shannon <laughs> Pradich is, and so what is she? This French. Life, or this Paris, What mm-hmm. is it This French this Life? This French Life. Yeah, This French Life. Yep. she. We've talked uh, quite a bit, and we reconnected in kind of the same way that you and I reconnected. What I find is interesting is the parallel between what you're talking about with Facebook as a resource, because I found that too, and then if you go back to our first episode 10 years ago, and we were talking about Yelp, the the conventional wisdom about Yelp and really how it could benefit people if they just shut the fuck up and, you know, looked at it. It's the same thing with Facebook. We're all complaining about, and Instagram. Well, not so much Instagram, but we're complaining about social media, yet it can be so helpful at times. I mean, that helped you move across the world. And I found so many Facebook groups that have helped me in different ways. Um, and they're very supportive. And whether they're, you know, existential groups like you moving across the world or, um, you know, just hobbies that you like, it's it's pretty cool. So I think that is um, – I, I just like the parallels with that. People can – Choose to make of things what they will. Education is the same thing. I, I fucked off in high school. I think I ended up okay, but ho- I know people who went to my high school who are very studious, and it was one of the best high schools in the country. Same thing. It's what you make of it. So,
3: absolutely, yeah.
1: It's the,
3: I actually wrote a substack about this: is the pain, the pain, and the pleasure of social media. Because I, you know, I, I distanced myself from Facebook a little bit, especially during the election before the last one, uh, in the presidential election in the United States, when everybody was just sharing political propaganda and really angry shit all the time. Ugly. And, um, the, the, it, Facebook, I mean, one of the reasons is such a big entity, uh, social media wise, worldwide is because of Facebook groups. Like when you go to other countries, that's what they use Facebook for. They're not as much posting just casual memes or political stuff. They're on various groups and that's why I go on Facebook these days. There's a ton of groups for expats over here. My wife runs a vegan. She's vegan. And so she runs a vegan community group here in, in Porto, the first one. And it's a great place to connect with other expats. It's a great way to connect around a specific ideology. Um, there's the expat group here is can be really toxic at times. You know, there's people advertising apartments for sale and then it spews into this, you know, some rants about how foreigners are ruining the housing market you know and so it's it's, it's still facebook right like you, it's it's very hard even in the good groups it's hard to escape the bullshit but mm-hmm. you're exactly right chris it's exactly what you make out of it there are plenty of times where i'm on there looking to connect with expats and i'll look around the corner and see some horrible thread and i'm like all right enough facebook for today i'll come back tomorrow you know it's just the way it goes
1: yeah and it's also i would imagine i'm sure there's a few conduits but a way to stay in touch with the folks you left behind you you never really leave people behind now because of the digital world. It's one of the reasons I thought it would be easy to move across the country. I can keep my friends. I'll, st- I can talk to them just as easily as I can. Someone next door, but, um, so it enables you to stay connected. Are you missing Portland at all?
3: Oh, I miss my people. You know, my, my, my split with Portland was, was absolutely amicable, but, there was a little bit of sadness baked into it because part of the reason that I left Portland was to go, to move on to a new thing. And part of the reason I left Portland was to leave Portland because Portland, the Portland that we discussed 10 years ago is a different thing than the Portland that is now. And I'm not a hater. I don't, I don't believe what Fox News says about Portland. I don't believe what CNN says about, I don't believe what any of you say about Portland. I'm you know, I when I was there this last summer, I went downtown. It's not that bad, you know. Uh downtown's always had its rough (laughs) spots. But it's Uh, also not as good as it was
1: 10 years ago. Sorry for interrupting you, but I mean it's a it's a lot different. So it it is. The the energy
3: is a lot different. You know, I mean Portland went through a transformation. When when I was talking to you ten years ago, rents were still affordable, the houses were still affordable. You know, there was a different economic picture that existed in the city. So there was a a crucible for people like Gabe Rucker and other chefs, you know uh, Tommy Habits, and John Gorham, and all these guys, and Walt Alexander and the Pie State Crew. Everybody who came out of those early kitchens had the ability to open restaurants and without, you know, risking absolute financial ruin. I mean, it's one of the reasons why people came to Portland to do what they did with food. It's like the food cart scene—you could experiment and you could do really cool stuff. And it wasn't like your life and your kids future on the line financially. And it's, it, it is just necessarily different when houses cost 3X or 4X as much. You know, commercial space costs that much more. There's way more homeless people because houses cost so much more. You know, all of the shit it's, it, it, there's no simple answer to it, but it just, it, it, there's a lot of change. You know, Portland, Portland went through a transformation and. I, I, I'm not sad to be in a new place, but I do, I miss being able to go get vegan Sri Lankan food. I miss being able to go get my fried chicken biscuit. I miss being able to get really, really excellent pho out on 82nd at pho, Oregon, you know, or Javiel soups. Like that kind of stuff doesn't exist here. It exists and it's just not very good. So, I mean, yeah, I, I miss, I miss walking up on Mount Tabor. Like there's no question, but I try, I'm trying not to live in the, Oh, I'm so sad I missed that because I'm in this wonderful old new place, you know, with new experiences for me.
1: Yeah, and a lot to discover. And that's, and you're just, how far into it are you now? How long have you been there?
3: I'm uh, a year and a month.
1: Okay. So, yeah, you still got some honeymoon period to go. I remember when I moved out here, I considered myself, you know, a new Oregonian. And then all of a sudden you realize there's a ton of people who say they've been here for less time than you have. And, oh, I'm a veteran. I kind of know my way around. So, um, well, when you speak of the the food scene there, one thing I want to, because I'll forget. So your wife is vegan. You're not. Hmm. How is that for you? How You know, because <laughs> I find it challenging. You know, I dated for a long time. Uh, I find it very challenging to go out with someone who has, you know, I like to share. We like to share and, you know. Don't take any offense, but as soon as someone starts asking a server about what's in this and what's in that and what can I eat, I I get a little – I start getting a little squeamish. How is it to be married with someone um, that you always have to think about vegan fare?
3: Um, Well, uh, if my wife listens to this podcast, it's fucking awesome, Chris. Uh, (laughs) I
1: mean it's got its its
3: challenges, right? I I think – I think so. When I moved here, uh, I was vegetarian. I had been vegan for a couple years uh, in Portland, and then I I traveled down to Central America. And traveling long form as a vegan can be really difficult, and I backed into vegetarianism a little bit. And then when I got here, I started dabbling in meat again, and I realized that I went through some health stuff and realized that all the carbohydrates and everything I was eating on my vegan diet just weren't were they weren't right for me. Um, and, uh, not to, not to digress into any sort of argument about which diet is healthier, but I, uh, you know, I, I, my wife's almost always been vegetarian. So I've, I've had the joy of like the challenge of cooking food at home that's vegan and delicious at the same time. And it's not just pasta and carbs. Uh, going out in Portland was not difficult because there were vegan options. Oh, yeah. everywhere. It's Probably the um, easiest it's place you can food. find. Yeah. Here in Portugal, it's, it's a little bit different. They actually have a federal law here. So in like schools and hospitals, and prison, any institutions, they have to have vegan options by law. Um, but the the local restaurants still, there's a lot of lost in translation. Like you have to really get in and say, is this vegan? Okay, well, is it made with any butter? Is it made with any eggs? So it's it's made me learn very quickly how to communicate better uh, in the Portuguese language. But also there's a certain amount of like, we've discovered that the vegan scene here is most heavily not Portuguese food. There's a lot of great vegan nouveau cuisine, like gourmet cuisine, world cuisine, Asian cuisine, um, you know, fresh bowls, salads, that kind of stuff. But if you want to go eat a traditional Portuguese meal, there's only a few places that you're going to go where they've got vegan versions of things because it's a pretty meat heavy diet Mm -hmm. over here. Um, so, you know, it's just been a challenge. Like, I'm not as plugged into the food scene here immediately as I would have been if I, if we were both um, meat eaters, but I'm getting out there as much as possible. And because I've made a few Portuguese friends, they've been shepherding me around town and showing me all the great little tascas and dive, you know, presunto houses and various. Foods that you've never heard of outside of Portugal, like um, papas de cerebullo, which is a uh, a blood, a pig blood and pork stew with uh, flour in it, and it's like a a thick brown stew with, with cumin. It's absolutely delicious. Nobody's ever heard of that outside of of Porto. But I noticed Andy Ricker was in town a little while back with uh, a buddy touring through the region, and he uh, he was eating that kind of stuff, and uh, it was great to. It's great to see people coming here and unlocking good food.
1: Well, if anybody's going to find that, that would be the guy. So Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> that is uh, interesting. He's been traveling a lot lately, I've noted. Uh, I don't think he did yes. for quite a while. But he, we have to find out what's up with Andy. Um, he's been a podcast guest, too. Uh, an honor to have him on this podcast. Listen, as long as we're talking about veganism, Let's take the sure. opportunity for the segue into a commercial message from our friends at Ringside Steakhouse. Be the perfect, uh, there you go. perfect antidote to that conversation. Uh, but we'll be back with Don Barassa. We're calling you Don Barassa expat. What else should we, how else should we refer to you? With regard to the food oh. world, how do we put? How do we? How do we associate you with food? I just have, you know, I just thought expat would do it for now, but we'll figure it out.
3: Food aficionado. I don't food know. Food aficionado. Never there eating. you
1: go. We'll there add you know. that. All right. So we'll be back in uh, right after this message.
0: All right, Chris. We are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite
1: places to eat in Portland, Ringside Steakhouse. And I'm going to say. If you care about service and you like good service, great service, Ringside is the place. I Can't mean, be I've be. discussed this with a number of friends. There's nowhere in Portland that has better service than Ringside. Now, there may be some that have as good at times, but Ringside, you know, you're going to be taken care of when you go in. So Every single time. Absolutely. Right. And it's cozy, and it's the food is great. Let's not forget that. But uh, if you want to take someone and, and make them feel special,
0: ringside is the place. And why not take them on, say, a Monday night where all night long, it's their prime rib three-course dinner special. You get mixed greens. You get the prime rib, of course, along with the horseradish and Yorkshire pudding. And then you can wrap it all up with creme brulee.
1: Are you a Yorkshire pudding fan, Court? I enjoy it, yeah. I yeah. love it. And uh, I know that I, I've enjoyed it all uh, quite often with their prime rib special, but also I've had the we've had the batter. We we got the batter in a kit. I don't know if they offer that, but we asked for it, and we mm-hmm. made Yorkshire pudding here uh, for some friends, and it was just delicious. So oh, very nice, yeah, very nice. And also, are you aware? Yes, you are, that they have merchandise now. I'm looking at their their apron. A ringside apron. Who wouldn't want a ringside apron for grilling outside or, or inside? Yeah. Now,
0: I've been envious of these for some time and they introduced these last year. And, uh, it'd be, you know, for the ringside fan in your life, a great way to surprise
1: them with something different. Right, and it's always nice to get a gift when it's not Christmas, when someone's just not expecting a gift. Yeah, that's the best time to surprise someone. So I would suggest take someone you love to ringside, and then go to the bathroom and come back with a t-shirt, a hat, <laughs> or or a, or, a uh, or an apron. One of the th- a, one of those. A little surprise. Right yes, exactly. You can uh, make reservations a couple
0: of different ways. You can go to the website ringsidesteakhouse.com. That's, of course, where you can find out all the different hours, um, things that are going on at uh, Ringside Steakhouse. Make your reservations there or hop on the Open Table app and make it through the app.
1: Exactly. Best thing you can do ringside on West Burnside or you can find them at ringsidesteakhouse.com. are uh, back with Don Barasa, live, well, kind of live on tape from Portugal. So where is it The talk shows used to say live on tape from Hollywood? So that's where we are. This would be the first time, Don, I have recorded a podcast in the morning darkness. I have done a few in the evening darkness, but uh, <laughs> thanks for getting me up early. And we started earlier than we had uh, planned on because I wrote and asked, can you do this a little earlier? Because I figured we'd have quite a bit to talk about and you're an interesting person. So we won't run out of things. So, um, sounds good. I appreciate your, your end of the day with us. Um, and so what, uh, I wanted to ask your sub stack is, is really cool. You put some time into it. How much time does it take for you to, what is it weekly that you're writing something about your experiences there? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's sort of weekly.
3: I mean, it's every week and a half We, I mm-hmm. guess. It really depends. I came back to the States for six weeks this summer, so I didn't write the whole time I was back there. Um, so it's it's not hyper consistent, but yeah, it takes me a few hours to put it together. I mean, I kind of try to think about it during the week. the The theme of international adulting to me just has a lot to do with my wife and I decided not to have kids. We've lived an alternative lifestyle in the sense of not keeping up with the Joneses and not buying the fancier cars and fancier houses and all the stuff that would go with as you you know have dual income, no kids and, and work hard uh, and run your own business, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And then being able to flip the table on life and sell everything and move overseas, it seems like not very of an adult move. But it requires a significant amount of, of adulting because it's real. You, you living, you know, t- having any semblance of wealth and living in another country, you know, there's all sorts of tax and bank implications and forms and you know accountants and visas and. Uh, it, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a I would lot. imagine it, so, t-
1: it takes a lot of time to do that. But I'm as long as we're mentioning the term adulting, I want to just take hmm. an opportunity because the term has always annoyed me. And the reason is yeah. it's like, okay. well, it's, I think because the term came up when I was far into adulthood. And I was like, what are these people just discovering that <clears throat> you can't just party every night? Maybe that was the way I looked at it. I don't know. But I'm getting from you in discussing this that it has to do with things that require responsibility. And that's what the term relates to. What does it mean to you?
3: I mean, that's a good, that's a good definition as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, for me, moving over here, there's all this adventure and newness and, and fun. And, you know, there's a lot of people who, might look at what I'm doing, and they're like, "What are you doing? You're supposed to be working 40 hours a week so you can save up a bunch of money. So when you're, you know, 80 years old and broken, and you finally get to retire, then you could do what? Swim around in your money like uh, Scrooge McDuck? You know, like that's what is that, right? I think I think for me, it's it's the idea of separating a notion of what I'm supposed to be doing in the world as an adult from what I actually want to be doing. And, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy what I do for work to earn money, like marketing, writing, storytelling, you know, that kind of stuff is fun. But if I won the Powerball tomorrow, I'd stop doing it. You know, I would just write my Substack and go take photos and just be creative and do fun stuff. Right. So the adulting is what I have to do so that I can do what I want to do. And I think that it's important to understand that as I get older and as I get more broken, I don't want to regret having not done things in my life that I wanted to do because there will be less things that I can do when I get older. And I'm not an ageist in any way. I just, I keep breaking things. Like I keep mm-hmm. I broke my foot this year. I broke my wrist this year. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't want to get to a place where I can't go travel to. I'm about to go to Malaysia on Monday for three weeks. And I don't want to get to a place where, Going to Malaysia means I got to stick to Penang and Kuala Lumpur. I want to go diving in the Similan Islands and, you know, do fun stuff. So that's, that's, it's a long-winded answer, but to me the definition of adulting is what you do so you can go actually live your life like you, I Uh, think you're supposed
1: to. Well, that's interesting because you're really writing about the fun stuff. And, uh, you know, underlying it is, well, I got to do this to be able to do that. And I, it's funny because you led me to, I'm a, I, Nancy Rommelman once referred to me as, uh, a, one of the most fallow writers that she knows. Like I have not, I made, I made my living on seven word headlines and I did really well, but I'm capable, uh, in terms of skill set of writing a pretty good book or a few pretty good books, but I don't have the discipline. So that's kind of what, you, what you're getting at. I don't have the discipline to do that. But so I let, I let just, uh, Substack and, and then it asks for a username. And then I started thinking about what I got going on in my business life, Portland food adventures and right at the fork. And then I started to think about Portland food adventures that I started 13 years ago and I'm still doing it. It's evolved. It's to things that are closer to what you're doing. Travel. Um, no. it's all, it's still got food involved, but it's more travel now. And then I thought, well, I'm not in Portland per se. I'm near it. I still have something to do with it. Uh, food, I have to say, I love it, but it was the conduit through from which I built something. And we all love food. Uh, the people who say yeah. I'm a foodie or, or you know, people, most people like food. They like to eat. And then the only thing left, I think, is adventures. I'm posting on my Instagram my dog, my coastal pictures more than I am food. So things evolve. I guess that's my point. And so you named your Substack something that is, that is the foundation from which you have to build the rest of the fun stuff, but you're writing about the fun stuff. And uh, I really enjoyed, you know, you picking a topic and talking about let's talk about sports this time and how that is not just necessarily – a recap of you know what the soccer team, the football team in Portugal is all about, but what that brings to you from a cultural aspect and a growth aspect in the city. So um, you found different areas that interest you. And when we met, it was it was really all about the food. The two of us—that's all we were talking about and doing—was food. Now it's evolved in time. I'm—I'd love to if we still have this podcast in twenty years. That's like hilarious to think about um but i'd love to hear what you're doing in 20 years and where you've evolved from there what do you think do you have a do you have a long-term plan
3: oh man you know i'm not sure i think food will always be important to me both because it tastes good but also because it as as i as you mentioned with sports or other things food is a nexus of culture in, in the sense of, you know, you have to, you have to eat three or four times a day in general, depending upon where you go in the world. That's a very communal thing. Um, you know, when I'm sitting in Sri Lanka at a roadside stand and you walk up and the sink's right out front because you don't wash your hands because you eat with your hands. And, you know, it, it's it just like it, it, it unlocks so many experiences that if you, if you thought about a day without food, you know, you would probably just sit in your tour bus and look out the window or you might go purchase something from somebody, but it's oftentimes when you can sit down at a table with somebody. So food will continue to always be a nexus for me. And as I, I'm, I'm now starting to d- really dig back in and unlock, it can be a little scary being in a new place like, you know, like Portugal where you don't speak the language and there's these little divey places and you walk in and. It's like the you know, the floor creaks and the saloon doors open and the record skips off the needle skips off the record, and everybody stops and looks at you and you kind of just back slowly out the door, like I don't even know what to do here, you know. And nobody speaks English, and so unless you speak the language, you can't ask. And so being able to speak the language, my language has gotten a lot better. I can speak it better now. Um I will continue like I'm gonna go back into the food thing a bit here. Uh but for me it's travel, it's adventure. Um You know, it depends on what the shape of social media is. You know, I never thought I'd be writing a weekly newsletter, but I found that I made the promise to myself when I left all my people behind. I'm really bad about communicating. I'm really bad about calling my friends. You know, I'm really bad about calling my mom. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this. But I know, I knew that if I could at least send one newsletter out every week to all my people, then I would maintain that contact with them, that I wouldn't be letting them down as much as I was when I just left, you know? So I, I think that as, you know, it, it's hard to predict this. It really is like, where, what, what's, what's, what are these things going to unlock for you that you find a new passion? All I know is that I continue to find new passions. So You,
1: you have a lot of them. And in your newsletter, I will point out you, you, uh, suggest, and, uh, that people contact you so you are Mm -hmm. you don't want to make it only one way you'd like you know this is your way of saying hey let me know what you think or what are you up to you just ask what you're up to it may have nothing to do with your topic in the newsletter that that uh week so but you know we talk about food it is a conduit for so much it's not only flavor but I mean, yes, w- whether you're traveling or you're not, you mentioned you got to eat three or four times a day or, or have one main meal, whatever you do, whatever your habit is. But yes, with travel, it's like it, it's kind of the fun. Yes, there's going to see the basilicas and all the historical, uh, aspects of any new city, but food is, at the base of a lot of it, right? So you get to meet people, you sit down. I've met the coolest people who run restaurants and bartenders, um, in other cities because sometimes I travel alone. Where else am I going to, what am I going to do? Approach people on the street corner? Well, I've met those people too, but food is, uh, is really important. What? So in all your travels, what do you think? First of all, where do you think Portland now ranks now that you've been all over the world in terms of food cities? And secondly, what are some of your favorite food cities? Where, if someone's doing a food vacation, um, where do you think would be the most exciting? Uh, You know, not necessarily one, but just generally speaking, where are some great food destinations that you've discovered? If if that's someone's jam and i would have guessed that a lot of people listening to this it is their jam what are some of the best food yeah. cities
3: you know i mean i think portland still ranks pretty high as far as the critical mass of like really good inventive food that's still pretty affordable in, in a, you know in a very small city and the ability to to get you know high-end food without paying you know the crazy michelin star prices at in some of the fancier cities in the world um, you know, my, my top food destinations would have to be, oof, gosh, I don't know. Tokyo is an incredible food city. Um, the craft of food goes so deep there. Uh, you know, uh, somebody will take ramen and that's the only thing they make. And they've only made it for 30 years. They make one bowl of ramen and their craft is like an ultra, ultra deep. Uh, I think Rome is an amazing food city. Uh, just some random bar, you sit down and they've got a homemade lasagna that will just blow your mind. Um, where else? I, I, I mean, there's a lot of places in Italy. I, I followed you to Sicily. I was just there a couple of weeks after you, as, as you know. You're communicating about that, and there was some, some decent food to be had in Sicily as well. It's hard to go wrong anywhere in the country of Italy with food. Um, gosh, where else? How
1: does uh, how does Spain, your next door neighbor now, how does Spain fare for you?
3: Well, I mean, if any of my Portuguese friends are listening to this podcast, I have to say Spain's just a terrible place. Um, <laughs> all right. Great. So you're, I mean,
1: you just keep elim- eliminating <laughs> listeners. Your wife, your mother can't listen. And now all of Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, San
3: Sebastian in, uh, up, in up in north, north uh, what is that, northern Spain near the French border uh, near Bilbao. It has to be literally one of the top food experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Uh all the pinchos, and there's a bunch of there's a place that they just make basque cheesecake, and you drink chocolina and you eat basque cheesecake, and that's the number one place. Anybody any, like all my expat friends I meet here, I'm like, have you been to San Sebastian? That that's that's a good put. That's that's an amazing an amazing place. Um, and you know, it's tough being a big fan of, of Asian like Southeast Asian food for me. Um, it's hard not to say places like Chiang Mai and Bangkok and Vientiane, Laos, and the places where you can go on the street and get ultra-legitimate papaya salad with the fermented crab and stuff in it, you know. I think I found that no matter where you go in the world, you can unlock some pretty incredible food. There have been a few countries like um, like um in the Balkans where, you know, the chabop is really interesting, but there's a lot of just like roasted meat. You know, it's like, okay, I've had a lot of roasted meat in my life, you know, unless you've got a really interesting sauce on it or something else. It's delicious, but it's not like... It's it's not gonna you know shake your foundations as much as going into a basement in Japan and having a chicken ramen with extra chicken fat on it and something like you like Yo, wow I can order extra chicken fat on this this is amazing you know um, so not to, not to trash in the Balkans but there's a lot of countries where you can't get that I, I, it's tough because if you go into a grandma's house anywhere in the world you're probably going to get some damn
1: good food. Well, yeah, but that's not easy to find grandma's house all the time. How do you go about finding your spots? I mean, I've landed on a, hey, if you really want to find out, let's go go with a chef who grew up there. They got their spots. but uh, And I go to some cities where I know nothing going in. Um, and I rely on my, you know, all the public social media things, I guess. And then you can put something out there on Facebook. I'm going to, you know, Amsterdam. Where, where should I eat? And you can't rely on that either. And the other thing is I was in Naples and went to, you know, looked up lists of the best pizza. And those lists are bullshit. So I ended up in some really bad commercial spots. Well, one. And then I kept going back to the place I really liked that I discovered from my Airbnb host. That, that's those are the people. That's one nice thing about Airbnbs is, um, you know, those yeah. people know their cities and they're not going to give you bad recommendations, but where do you find yours? Sorry for going on and on. I mean, I mean the coffee, no, this no, is, no. the coffee's just kicking in right now.
3: There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. I mean, talking to locals, it's the number one, right? So and my wife's actually really good at this. We'll, we'll sit down somewhere and we're, even if we're staying in a hotel, you go to the front desk and you say, okay, where, where should I go? And there's a 90% chance they're gonna send you to someplace where they get a kickback or whatever. But if you really dig in and say, look, 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 I don't want no touristy bullshit. You know, where do you and your family go and eat? And they usually say, well, we eat at home. But then if you, or you sit at a bar, go sit at a bar and talk to a bartender. You have a, if you can find a bar that's not just a tourist spot, you can start asking questions and they'll start, they'll usually start giving you answers. And so Airbnb hosts, you know, bartenders, servers and other restaurants. Where do you guys eat when you get off mm. um, social media? Obviously, although there's a lot of Instagram bullshittery and fakery, you know, it's like, oh, you know, some influencer posts something and then there's a line up the door and it's not that good. You know, we started to experience a little bit of that in Portland where you wait 45 minutes for something that wasn't the best, I don't know, donut in town or something. And then you're like, why did I just do this? Right. Because because of Instagram but um yeah i think i think digging in i i not to diss on yelp but outside of america i use google maps a lot because yelp never really penetrated hard outside of america and so and they haven't invested there they wrapped up at, uh, i don't know 10 years ago their international operations so it's just not it's not as an up to date resource but google maps can lead you to some interesting places some food blogs can but you're right, like in Naples, it was Google Maps where I found my pizza place right near the train station that was full of locals and line out the door. and Incredible.
1: Yeah, Not commercial. well, I relied on Google Maps in Naples and found one that wasn't that great. But I mean, that's a crapshoot too. And I yeah. in, internationally, yes, you can't rely on Yelp. But there are things like TripAdvisor. So if you use the same reading skills that you might have used on Yelp, you can maybe read through the figured out or the fork there's the fork um but you know you just have to i think we all kind of know what we like and then there's pictures like people putting pictures of food up but and then to me when when you have the ability to have users post pictures i want to see a crowded restaurant that is what i want to see and the other thing is We did this in Paris recently where, you know, it's wide open and you spend a few days there and walk down the street and see where it's packed and where it's not, you can kind of tell it's not tourists, it's locals. Those are the places Mm -hmm. that are good too, but you're talking about the bars and the back alleys and those are cool as well. And I know you have started, you know, we talked about Porto a few weeks ago and you were telling me that's what you're really kind of discovering now or the, the undiscovered spots that aren't going to be on Yelp that you need to talk to someone like you to find out about.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's critical. You know, I would say on social media, the trick is to follow, not follow influencers, you know, people who have a pretty picture of themselves and all their food is styled perfectly. It's to follow the, the you of the world chris angelis is the andy rickers the kenji kenji lopez all from putting me in a category with andy thank you well i'm putting i'm putting you in a category of authentic people like social media is full of fake people with fake aims posting fake food but there's legitimate people out there who are Really doing like interesting things, like like I don't want to harp on Andy, but I've been following him lately because he's doing this Roads and Kingdoms thing, and he was just all through my region, Mm -hmm. and he's he got around my region more in a couple weeks than I have in a year and a half. I've been here the year and a month I've been here, and because he's with somebody who's guiding him around, but he's he's off in the villages doing some like ultra legitimate stuff, and if all you have to do is follow him, and yeah, I think they're trying to sell Roads and Kingdoms, but. You can also just say, okay, well, I see that he's posted from this bakery that makes this super authentic bread. I'm gonna go find that, right? And so that to me is who you follow on social. You don't don't follow the pretty face with the pretty food styled photos. Follow the real well, people. Follow
1: that's always been Rick my thing is find out where chefs go. That's the basis. So I know yeah. nothing. I I enter it with, it's not up to me. I'm just going, just follow that person. And uh, and so that's been my strength is saying, this is the person you want to find out from where to go in Portland. That's how we started out. And now it's, you talk about San Sebastian. It's pretty cool to go with Javier from Erdineta and find out where mm-hmm. his, you know, he grew up in, he spent years and he's still got a house in Bermejo. That guy knows and he's a, he's a great sure. chef. So he's not going to take you to someplace that sucks. That's a tourist destination. And so that has been the basis from everything. So I appreciate your saying follow me. And sometimes I'm in the shit places too. And, um, I appreciate those too. I don't need all the the best of everything. I don't believe in best lists either. I believe in favorite lists because everybody's got different palates and nobody can say this is the best hamburger in wherever. They just can't say that. So anyway, but I do believe if you follow chefs um, and when I post something on Facebook that I'm going to a particular city, yeah, I'll listen to what, you know, Kristen Murray tells me if I'm, if I'm, you know, Going somewhere or even you mentioned Shannon. Shannon knows where. And I, because of my budget, I ignored her recommendations for hotels because I couldn't afford those. And boy, I wish I had followed those because I ended up in a shit hotel in Paris recently, or at least cost wise, the value wasn't there. It wasn't bad, but holy shit. Um, but at any rate, those are the, the people to follow. So what are you, um, you're, you're leaving next week. So for three weeks, and what are you guys doing to now be able to afford to travel for three weeks at a time? It's not necessarily cheap to do that.
3: Uh, well, I have an OnlyFans, so I mean, I'm I'm on here to to, to promote my OnlyFans. No, um, no, <laughs> I know. I I wish I could make that kind of money that fast. Um, the I do. Uh, well, my wife's semi-retired. She was in the real estate business for 17 years, and so she's. She's taking some time between selling her business and what her next thing is. Um, we cannot afford to do a remodel and travel like this indefinitely. So something will be next for her. Um, I continue to work. So I can, I do marketing consulting for some clients in the United States. Um, I am always looking for more work, but um it's it's what been what kind of, what you know, kind of clients to,
1: while we're talking about it you may as well do a sell, little promotional message i'm sorry to interrupt you but let's talk about what kind of clients you have and what you're what you're good at
3: sure well yeah the right now i have i have an aerospace client and a SaaS uh client that does the ones based out of austin and ones based out of the river uh, and uh i do sort of full stack brand marketing i mean my my strength is what I did for Yelp. I'm out evangelizing and storytelling. You know, People are like, what is Yelp? What is this thing? I mean, people know what it is now. But back in the day, being able to go around and, and talk and speak to a brand, you know, a bunch of engineers designed Yelp. But if you ask them what Yelp is, you get crazy answers. And so I'm the guy who can, who can talk to your executive team and help you put what it is that you're trying to do into some sort of coherent message and get it out to the right people at the right time so right now i'm doing everything from web design to copywriting to marketing strategy to you know it's all consulting and advising Um, and during this recent kind of quiet quitting thing that happened around covid i'm starting to fill some gaps there's a lot of people who left full-time roles where full-time roles weren't really necessary and they can have somebody with experience like me come in and do 10, 20 hours a week and pick up, you know, it's a lot cheaper than hiring a full time head in that role. So um, I know it's a vague answer, but I do a lot of vague things. So,
1: well, marketing can be pretty vague. And, you know, I think that's Mm -hmm. a key thing to do for businesses is be able to um, articulate for the public what they do because. They look at things completely differently and you need to say, listen, that's not how people view your product or your service. This is what's important. Here are the benefits to them. You're viewing it from a completely different standpoint. I did it with my, my clients for years where I'd say, you're talking to yourself. No one, no one gives a shit Mm -hmm. about that. You're making a, you're making a laundry list. No one, listen, you got to pare it down you got to get it you got to yeah. own it to a, an elevator speech or or a seven word headline something to that effect you got to be able to do that so well that's cool and it's good that you um you're able to do that and you know you can do that from anywhere you know we're in this world now where you can do you can if you have a skill you can take it out listen i've always said there's not there's no less security doing things yourself than there is being a the, the beck and call of a big company, they can just fire you in a minute and they can do layoffs in a minute. At least if you keep yours manageable, you can diversify and have enough clients. So if you lose one, you pick up another, right?
3: Yeah. And it's, it's definitely difficult to be operating from the other side of the ocean. Um, you know, not being present, not being able to show up at events and do networking in person not being on the same time zone. I mean, you're early morning there and I'm evening here. The eight hours from here to the West Coast is absolutely brutal. My client with especially with my West Coast clients. So it's it's an evolving thing. Like there's this idea, there's this pie in the sky idea going back to what we started this conversation with that, you know, hey, I've got this remote job. I should move to someplace like Portugal and just take my work with me. And and if you're a W two employee, it's difficult because there's all sorts of international regulations about, you know, you can come here and visit and work for a few months while you're here. But if you become a resident and you're a W2 employee, the company has got to set up an entity here and do all this stuff to be legal and tax considerations. So it's, I think it's something real that people need to think about if they want to, you know, if you're a digital nomad, you really do have a, a job that will work, let you work from anywhere in the world and your company supports it. Great. Right. Um, I will. I'm curious to see what my struggle as a freelancer will be if I need to continue to pick up American clients, but I'm not in America. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just far away, so I have to have to keep my networks fresh. And uh, um, you know, who knows?
1: I think you got to visit once in a while. I did that same thing when I moved from east to west coast. I had all east coast clients to start. And it was great for a couple of years, but I noticed over time I lost this one and I lost that one because someone was there locally in their ear and you're not able, you can do it by phone. Yes, but they're walking in their office and they're taking them to lunch. So it, it does become a little challenging. And, uh, you know, there are other things like your Substack or podcasts that keep you local too, right? So. Uh, I've done sure. that with this podcast. I'm not necessarily in Portland as much. I'm still there sometimes, but not, certainly not as much as I used to be. And that kind of does, that helps keep me in the Portland food world, um, as well. So Don, you got anything else you feel like talking about that I maybe didn't bring up anything that, uh, you know, you're. Uh highlighting the advantages of being where you are or some of the disadvantages um, that people might want to take into consideration? You've mentioned quite a few uh, already, but yeah. maybe, maybe we've missed a couple.
3: Goodness gracious. Well, uh, you know, I, I do miss Portland. I have a deep love for Portland. I hope that, you know, I hope that the, the people that that continue to be elected there can can figure out a way out of that. Cause that's, that's what they're hired for. Uh, uh, I think, you know, anybody who's thinking about making a move overseas, um, you know, if you're connected to me on social, or you can find a way to connect with me. I'm always happy to pay it forward. I talked to a lot of people and got a lot of advice when I did this and it was absolutely critical because a lot of the articles and blogs and stuff you read paint a very rosy or very not super accurate picture. It's like, uh, it's like those food influencers on Instagram, you know, it's like, Oh wow, that, that burger looks amazing. But you know, in real life, it's, you know, might, it may be cold in the center. So like, it's, uh, definitely it's, it's an amazing process to, to move overseas and go to another culture and expand your mind and expand your world. And it's, it's really humbling to be an immigrant, uh, coming from being a privileged white person in America. Um, I'm still a privileged white person here, but you know, I'm, it's, it's a different frame of mind. It's, it's a really good perspective shift to go live in somebody else's home and be a guest and, um, be humbled by bureaucracy and, and all the other things that come with it. So I, uh, I strongly recommend it for anybody who's thinking about fleeing, but also, uh, don't flee Portland because Portland's amazing. Well, that's, it's my, a, that's, my that's good.
1: You, that's very <laughs> Good of you to say. I know there are a lot of Portland businesses would, that would like to hear that. So, um, But it's interesting because it's got to expand your perspective. As Americans, we tend to think the world revolves around us. And, and when you start traveling, you, you realize, holy shit, there's, there are people in Portugal. The world revolves around them, to them. But the other thing that you find out, I find that people in Europe and in Canada— Are sometimes know more about American politics than I do. They follow it, and it means something to them. But the world isn't about politics, and I think it's really cool to expand your horizons, to look at things from a different perspective. Do you ever see yourself moving back, or do you see yourself saying, okay, Portugal's the next 10 years. We'd like to go somewhere else. Obviously, things change, so you don't know. But right now, do you think I've heard so many people say, this is our last move. This is our last house, which I always say, oh, yeah, come on. You don't know that. But-
3: well, my I have a, I have a goal to get a Portuguese passport, which is attainable in about six years, um, which would allow me to be a dual citizen uh, in Portugal and the United States, which, which allows me to keep one foot in the EU and one foot in the U.S. Um, I still own a home in Portland. My mom lives there. Uh, I still have ties there. I have... Family and friends all scattered around the West Coast. I do not have any plans to move back to America anytime soon because I'm very I'm very happy to be to be gone of it right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that I won't be coming back if I if and when I need to take care of ailing family members or you know obviously we still have roots in Portland with the home that we still own there. So. I can't imagine that if I moved back to America that I would want to move anywhere other than the Pacific Northwest because I have such a deep love for the mountains and forests, and the ocean, all the, and the food and the people, and all the wonderful things there. So, um, but for now, I'm I'm looking forward and I'm looking, I'm I'm standing on the doorstep of of the European continent and it's it's a place that I want to be and explore for the next foreseeable future. So, that's that's what I'm excited about.
1: And reading your sub stack, you can see you have found those places that remind you of the Pacific Northwest that feel comfortable to you. When you get out in nature, it, it's, it's soothing for you and uh, grounding as well. A little bit. That's cool. Well, listen, yeah. I look forward to, we're going to get together in Portugal one way or another, one time or another. I was just thinking this morning that, you know, I usually on our trips a couple of times a year, add something at the beginning or the end. And I think in 2024, if you'll, if you would be so kind as to show me around Porto a little bit and maybe outside a little bit, I would love that. Um, It's, I don't want to make it a secret that we're trying to work on a trip to Portugal. There's a couple of different ways to do that. Um, But you know, my model is to have someone there who knows the market really well, the scene really well. So you're one of those people, you're getting to be one of those people you're learning. Um, And so we have a couple of different ideas on how to execute that. But um, it has been uh, wonderful reconnecting with you. And I've had a really great day. It's only um, 8.27 a.m. here. And I've already spent all morning reading your blogs again. I've read some of them as they've come and then i read them again and then i listened to episode number one of right at the fork this morning because i thought it'd be the perfect thing to do right before we spoke and so i've had a really good uh, don barossa morning and i hope that um i hope people go back and listen to that episode number one too it was well done for a first one and you were a great guest and you're a great guest again i really appreciate it and uh um, thanks for kicking off year the the second decade of right at the fork. Who knows how long this is going to go? You never know.
3: Excellent. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's good been great to talk to you. And uh, you, of course, you're always welcome in Porto. I'd love to show you around, feed you some good food. Um, I am I I am no expert on this city yet, but it is my goal to be at some So, um, and everybody else, anybody else who's, who dares to listen all this way to the end of this episode please come visit as well. Portugal is Portugal welcomes you.
1: Well, here's the thing. Join us. You don't need to know every great spot. You just if someone comes they're coming for a, whatever period of time, a day, two, three, four, you just need a few good sure. ones. That's all. That's all it takes. So, um, yeah. you know, we don't need to hit, we don't need to hit the Le Pigeons and, you know, the all Earl spots in one fell swoop. That's the beautiful thing about Portland. You can ask people what they like and give them three or four and you know, out of 200 and you're going to do okay. So um, yeah. same thing with where you are. Thanks, Don. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be in touch and have a great time. Where are you heading?
3: Uh, Malaysia. And right. Long That's Kali, what I thought. Kuala Lumpur. Yeah.
1: Cool. Well, we'll look forward to following. I'm sure you're going to put that on your um, adulting international or is it international adulting?
3: International
1: adulting. That's what I thought. So uh well I, that's what I thought of, upon for uh hindsight. Um thank you very much, Don. I appreciate it, man. Have a good uh evening there. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Chris. Have a great
2: day. Right at the fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX, or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at Right at the Fork